to Teach Me Something, the podcast that I use to give me the motivation to learn new things. I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. Nice. In this episode, as you can see from the title, I'm going to talk about the four humors, the four temperaments, and I'll throw in a little word etymology for all of you who find that interesting. And I know there's at least one of you out there. I think there'll be a lot of people who already know a few of the things that I'll talk about, but I'm really hoping to teach you something new. I know I learned quite a few new things here. Great. Then teach me something. Great. First things first, we're going to go all the way back in time to ancient Greece. This whole thing starts with Hippocrates coming up with the theory of the four humors, but like most important ideas, he built it up on the back of work done by others who came before him, namely Empedocles and Alcmaeon. So with Empedocles, not much is actually known about his life, We think he was born around 490 BCE. Uh, He was a pre-Socratic philosopher from Sicily. And something I found really interesting about him is that he's considered the last Greek philosopher to write in verse. I didn't know they Mm. did that. I found it interesting to think about, like, a philosopher's whole body of work being poems. Um, It's pretty cool. Yeah, it seems hard enough to sometimes just get the ideas out and then have to put them into prose or rhyming couplets isn't it impressive just sounds like a lot of work it didn't have to rhyme to be a poem you know that right no no it (laughs) it has to rhyme that's that's not how this works so empedocles came up with four roots they're indestructible they're unchangeable and they make up everything in the world okay so those rhymed (laughs) what they did (laughs) yeah indestructible and unchangeable oh okay Gotcha. (laughs) So fire, air, water, and earth. You might recognize those as the four elements, but that name came later. And the band. Isn't that just earth, wind, and fire? Sure. I mean, it's three quarters of it. Suck it, water. Yeah. Okay. So uh, four elements were a thing, indeed, but they were named that by Plato. So Mm -hmm. the the roots came first, and Plato just took those roots and decided that they are now named elements. So I'm going to call them roots for now because that was in Pedocles's original wording. Got it. So here's uh, here's a quote from Empedocles. Now here the fourfold roots of everything, enlivening Hera, Hades, shining Zeus, and Nestus, moistening mortal springs with tears. So this quote and his other work was implying that he had associated a god or goddess with each root. Right. Um, so fire for Hades, air for Zeus, and earth for Hera. Now that other character there, Nestus, I had not personally heard of, and I thought I knew a lot of Greek mythology, so it was surprising to me. Do you know who that is? No, the name sounds incredibly familiar. I've heard a lot of Greek mythology, but I couldn't tell you who that is. Nestus is a euphemism for Persephone. Okay, well, I know who that is. Her name was not safe to speak out loud because she was the terrible queen of the dead. Sort of like a she who could not be named mm, situation. Mr. Here. Voldy. Mrs. So, Voldy in this case. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, she, she had a lot of euphemism type of names and that was just one of them. So Tint, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> Nestus, yeah. Persephone, water. Water element. Got it. All right. And and then now now there's Alcmaeon. 
I don't want to say that like he was after Empedocles. They are pretty much the same time. Okay. He was also important. Um, now with Alcmaeon. Good for him. Turns out there's a lot of Alcmaeons. When I was Googling, it took me a while to find the right Alcmaeon. This is Alcmaeon of Croton. This is the problem I usually have with him as well. Right? There's mm, yeah. Alcmaeon's everywhere. It's like Michael's in this day and age. So Alcmaeon was known for a really important work he did in, in biology. He dissected cadavers, which was very rare in the ancient world. Um, shortly after his time, the Romans banned human dissection, which is probably why, I mean, and the Middle Ages. There was a lot of time when it was banned and we don't have good medicine probably because of that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a reoccurring theme throughout history is my understanding. Sure is. Sure is. Um, but he did perform dissections. He was the one who discovered eustachian tier, uh, tubes, which are in your ears, by the way. They control pressure. They go, you know, from your inner ear down to the back of your throat, basically. Okay. Train. Anyways, really important. Really, like, fine detail work. Right. Impressive. So he came up with the idea of humors in the body being responsible for health and illness. Uh, his idea was that when you disturb the equilibrium between opposing humors, that would cause illness and that the humors can be impacted by the environment or your nutrition or, you know, exercise, like your other lifestyle habits. How funny you are. We're not there yet. Okay. No. Got it. <laughs> I'll save it for later. Yeah. That'll be, that'll, that'll be, be a, a good joke later, recurring joke. Good. Save it. Um, I do want to branch out and, and point out a dumb medicine fact about Alcmaeon, because not everything the ancients came up with was correct, including the four humors. But mm. um, something Alcmaeon did think was that sleep occurred by the withdrawal of blood away from your body surface into deeper, larger blood vessels, and that you become awake again when the blood returns. And then he concluded that if the blood were to withdraw completely, then you died well, that part's right. Sleeping's dangerous. Well, no, just just the total withdrawal of blood from your body is dangerous. I suppose that would be quite fatal. Yes, quite fatal. Quite fatal. Um, so, your funny, funny humor joke aside, let's actually learn what a humor is. Dad jokes? Um, what Fart a humor jokes. was. Okay, got it. <laughs> Obviously, it means a different thing for us now. And we will get in later to mm -hmm. how it became to mean something like a dad joke. Got it. So the Greeks used the word kymos, meaning juice or sap. Um, we get our word from the Romans. So the Latin eumere, meaning moist or wet, spawned the Latin term eumor, which meant bodily moistness. Good. <laughs> Sorry, it's hard not to giggle when you say bodily moistness. Um, the ancients would mainly use the term to mean like fluid or juice of an animal or plant. So specifically, in terms of medicine, humors are people juices. Yeah. And you are welcome for that visual. Yeah, animal and people juices is uh, it's just a great visual. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So on to Hippocrates then. Some people have suggested that the concept of humors originated in ancient Greek, Mesopotamia, and then it just wasn't systemized until ancient Greek thinkers. And that's, of course, incredibly common throughout history is I'm not saying the Greeks and Romans were stealing credit on purpose, but, you know, they made a lot of innovations on their own. They were very, very um, inventive people, but they took everything that came before them and they were the first ones to write it down. So they just get all the credit. Mm-hmm. 
That happens a lot. And that happened in this case probably as well. Um, so the four humor system is known as humorism and it basically lasted forever. So from Hippocrates time, like, you know, three to 400 BCE until it wasn't the, until the late, well, mid 1800s when germ theory became the prevailing theory that it really fell out of favor. So like it literally- It's a long time. It's insane how long this lasted. Again, probably something to do with that no dissections. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we couldn't really study and fact check and right. do the scientific method. Exactly. So humorism says that the direct cause of all disease was an imbalance of your humors called dyscrasia. Um, so from dis for bad and crassus for mixture, bad mixture. Having balanced humors, you'd be healthy, and that would be called eucrasia. I'll give you three guesses what that one means. Good balance. Well, good mixture, but same mm. thing. Good enough. Got it. You're right. You means good. So Hippocrates used Alcmaeon's theory of the imbalance of humors causing illness, and he incorporated the four elements into that. And uh, I think it's time <laughs> in this episode almost 10 minutes in that I finally tell you what the four humors were. Ready? Good. Okay, so Greek, Latin, a mix between Latin and Greek, sanguis, phlegm, choler, and melancholia, which is blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. And uh, it was really actually important though, um, because it was the first organized theory that said illness results from natural causes rather than supernatural or cosmological events. Um, I mean, it was really easy to say that your diet and exercise and the things that you do um, make no difference in your life when right. the cause of your illness is supernatural. Yeah. But that's not the same thing if we think something within us and the stuff that we're doing influences it. Um, so it was important to have people be more proactive about their own health and have physicians start to pay attention to their patients a little more and find more individualized treatments. Um, you know, early physicians had to diagnose which humor was out of balance and they prescribed a treatment for it to restore the equilibrium, you know, like too much blood. Bloodletting was your solution, which is a practice that persisted way too late. Yeah, like that, the late, the late 1800s before people kind of gave up that one. Yeah. Um, too much black bile. Well, you just purge it out. You know, sweating, vomiting, enema, laxatives. If you're any sweating of those out things, black bile, get it out. That's. Well, I mean, I watched X Files where you know they sweated out black castor oil, but that that little bit different. Well, on on that note. All the other humors are like a thing in your body, right? Mm -hmm. Blood, phlegm, yellow bile. bile. Yep. Black bile's not a thing, right? So I, they think I, that it kind of came from maybe like clotted blood gets like dark mm, black like yeah. that. And if they're examining blood outside of the body, they don't have the technology to keep it um, unclotted. So maybe that black kind of clotted blood they didn't was understand why they was... thought black bile was a thing. Sure. Um, that was a little bit of a digression there. So... I also wanted to mention that the cure for wine, or for phlegm, too much phlegm. Was it wine? Was wine. <laughs> okay, good. Good at <laughs> guessing sometimes. Gosh darn. Okay. Some cool. I think the four temperaments is cooler than the four humors because there's just so much to it. So Hippocrates didn't limit the theory to just medicine and illness. He thought moods, emotions, and behaviors are all caused by an excess or lack of certain humors. Uh, Galen 
who is a very famous Greek physician in the Roman Empire, so about the second century CE, he really developed the four temperaments into a fully fleshed out theory um, that says that we are all born with a basic temperament which determined by which of your humors, the four humors, are dominant in you. Um, some people could have like co-dominant humors, which gave you a combined temperament. Some people who must have been very lucky had all four in perfect balance and that was its own temperament as well, which I could not find the name of, to I, be fair. That sounds more like quadpolar in terms of temperament. I don't know if they're necessarily lucky. <laughs> it's like competing voices on the inside. Oh, that makes it a little creepy sounding. Right. Uh, <laughs> voices. Hey, voices. I'm, not, I'm not the one who's saying it. It's I'll the Greeks. I don't think hearing voices <laughs> is ever a good thing. <laughs> um, so, like, for example, this kind of reminds me of astrology and, like, lumping people into these broad categories and then saying that this is your personality and you must have all these traits in common with other people. Um, so, for instance, like, with blood as your dominant humor, you were sanguine. Um, so you're good-humored, optimistic, cheerful, understanding, and shallow, indecisive, and confused. If okay. you're choleric, you know, lots of yellow bile, you're passionate and efficient, you're an achiever and a leader... But maybe also intolerant and humorless and a workaholic. Sure. If you were a melancholic temperament, you know, too much black bile, or too much, I guess, just a lot of black bile. You're creative and sensitive, you're moody and sympathetic and unreliable and unstable. <laughs> and maybe full of coagulated blood. Maybe. Didn't do much dissection to check that out, yeah, as you right. know. Um, by, by Galen's time, he was not allowed to dissect people. He used Barbary apes. Well, other monkeys too. It was not close enough. Yeah. Uh, phlegmatic is the last one, where you'd be kind of reserved and stable and calming and maybe also cold, arrogant, and inconsiderate. So, okay. you know, fun. Yeah. it's kind of fun to look at them just like horoscopes. It's like, oh, cool, that's me, but maybe not. Yeah, there's some interesting parallels there. So just like Empedocles' roots were associated with a god or goddess, each humor was also associated with a bunch of other things, not just a temperament. So they assigned an element, a season, an age, a temperature, a level of moistness, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know, moist or dry, and a bodily organ that was thought to produce that humor. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> so one second, bef before we get into this, is Persephone... Yes. The one associated with spring in terms of the season. No. See, this doesn't... Okay. None of these things hmm. make sense to me, to be honest. Great. I'm like, I, I'm looking at this and it doesn't all make a lot of sense. There's not a lot of connections that I would have made here. Okay. Uh, for example, the sanguine temperament, you know, lots of blood. Yeah. Um, they were warm and moist. Of course. <laughs> Associated with spring, infancy, air, mm. and they thought it was produced in the liver. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, I would think that, you know, red, blood, and fire would have gone well together. Um, the logic here is, I don't want to say it's missing. Ancients were, you know, renowned philosophers. Yeah. But I don't get it. Let's just okay. say that. So, choleric temperament... You were warm and dry. You were associated with summer, youth, fire, and okay. it was produced in the gallbladder. That's where I would have guessed, too. Right? Okay. Melancholic. You're cold and dry. 
You're mm. associated with autumn, adulthood, earth, and it was produced in the spleen. Sure. And then there's that phlegmatic one again. Phlegmatic people are cold and moist. Um, mm-hmm. Associated mm-hmm. with the winter, old age, water. See, there's water. There's yeah, Persephone. Okay, that's old age and winter. The water that doesn't part, make much sense. I mean, if you were in water all the time, you'd be cold and moist. Maybe Persephone is associated with the winter because it was a winter when, when Demeter was, was mourning her yeah. being gone in Hades. That's right. And most of the people gone in Hades would be cold and moist as well. Yeah. Cracked the Okay. Got it. it. We made the logic work. Okay. Um, so to develop this around 1000 CE, Avicenna who is a really cool and very important Persian polymath. Um, He expanded the temperament theory to include like a lot of other psychological, philosophical elements like emotionality, mental capacity, moral attitudes, self-awareness, movements, and even dreams. Oh. Um, Someone else who's super interesting, and I'm sure one day I'm going to do an episode on him, is Paracelsus. So Paracelsus did this specific work about 1550 CE. Wow. Um, so we're getting closer to present day here. Yeah. And again, I'm going to talk about Paracelsus in the future because he had a lot of quite interesting theories that really um, started to introduce modern chemistry um, and things into medicine. But he also had some pretty whack theories, like this whole, this whole temperament thing. He assigned totem spirits to each of the four temperaments. Uh-huh, yeah. It's really cool, though. <laughs> so sanguine were assigned the changeable salamanders. Oh. Choleric, the inspired nymphs. Oh. Melancholic, the industrious gnomes. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> I was expecting animals for a while. Totem spirits. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I was thinking about ah. tigers. <laughs> Eagle! Well, that's a, thing. that's a thing, too. Someone else did that. Okay. I don't remember what that one was, but that was a Great. thing. Um, and the phlegmatic got curious sylphs. Now, do you know what a sylph is? S-Y-L-P-H. Because I know I've seen that, but I never actually knew what it was, so I had to look it up. I know what silt is, though. It's like the sediment from like the river and stuff. Well, let's go with that. That was a terrible dad joke. Well, I'm just imagining a little creature made of silt now, like plodding around in the in the moist and not dry underworld no no phlegmatic people were cold and dry nope cold and moist cold and moist they're cold that's what i'm saying and moist yeah anyways that doesn't make sense to me at all because sylphs were apparently like light and air spirits they were like angels so how i don't i don't i don't know i don't get how they're associated with phlegmatic i don't Industrious gnomes, at least. Melancholic people are earth-based. Industrious sure. gnomes, that's okay. earth-based. Yeah. Anyways, once again, I don't understand. But it was cool. Uh, Aristotle had a theory called the four sources of happiness that he associated with each temperament. So mm-hmm. sanguine personalities. I don't know how to say that word, by the way. I've been saying, like, different ways. If anyone knows, you should correct me. Um Anyways, they got their happiness from sensuous pleasure. Sure. Which is the Greek word hedony, maybe. Again, disclaimer, I don't know how you say Greek words. Um, Choleric temperaments got their happiness through ethikos, or moral virtue. This all makes sense. Melancholic people through proprietary 
It's got to be work, I assume. Acquiring assets. Yeah, okay, great. And phlegmatic temperaments through dialogica, which is logical investigation. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, like, that's not all of it. There is huge charts full of this. There's four value attitudes, four worldviews, four mistaken goals, four character styles, four orientations, and a cool one that I'll expand upon, four god temperaments. Mm. Um, I could go on. There's there's so many more. Like, everyone had to come up with their own theory to slap on and add on to these four temperaments. Um, the four god temperaments, though, side note, those are cool. Sanguine personalities are Dionysian and right. it's cool, right? Choleric yeah. temperaments are Apollonian. Okay, Apollo, got it. Melancholic are Epimetheus. Epimetheus. Yeah. Prometheus is. I was going to say. Brother, uh, afterthought. I was thinking, I was trying to think if that was Prometheus or not, but his brother. Okay, got it. And then phlegmatic, those are the Promethean. Got it. Forethought. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. Um. But now we're going to get into some word etymology. I find it very interesting. And I, uh, I do think there's a few tidbits that you can all enjoy here. Um, so the word temperament. We obviously use it now to mean like personality. Yeah. Um, the word comes from the Latin temperamentum, which meant proper mixture. So that's kind of where we got... Where we got from those type of temperaments to our temperament that we use today. Like the mixture of the humors. The proper mixture was your temperament. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see a, a line in terms of, or like back through how we use it to how they appeared to be using it. It seems to be mm-hmm. somewhat familiar. Yeah, that one, that one flows and follows pretty logically, I think. Yeah. Um, the rest of the words like, are kind of a mix between Latin and Greek. Yeah. So like sanguine personality. Uh, sanguine is from the Latin sanguineus, which is of blood. Um, so the word does literally mean bloody to this day, but it also means overly happy or prone to fall in love. That's a definition now. And that comes from that characterization of sanguine temperament as being like cheerful and happy. So that came from those traits they associated with that humor back then. Um, Greek phlegma actually means humor caused by heat because the etymological parent of that word is phlegian, to burn, um, which is a little counterintuitive since before we said the phlegmatic temperament was cold and moist, so I don't really know how that's hot or burning. Um, Like I said, this doesn't make any sense, but it's cool. Okay. (laughs) Too much phlegm was thought to cause apathy, a phlegmatic person with apathetic, and that is now what it means. It means cold, dull, or apathetic. It also kind of means cool and calm and self-possessed, which is that still that kind of reserved personality a phlegmatic person had. Um, or they said they had, should I say. Right. Uh, collar. Collar was the word that we got yellow bile from. Collar, of course, reminds you of what? Cholera. That's exactly what I have written on my outline. Mm-hmm. Cholera is a waterborne illness caused by the bacterium Vibrio cholerae, if anyone was interested. Um, by the way, still kills over 140,000 people a year worldwide in, many. in developing nations only, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. Clean water is important to people. Of course. Um, so the root of choler is the Greek kol, which means bile. 
which came from colors, pale green or greenish yellow. So it originally meant bilious of temperament or complexion, with the word bilious meaning that you looked green. Oh. Because, okay, so, you know, the word meant green, then it turned, yeah, a little bit of a confusing one here. Um, basically, choleric personalities and choleric people were just seen as being angry, easily angered, hot-tempered. Um, so when you had too much yellow bile, you're quick to anger. And the thing I find kind of interesting is that because they thought humor originated, this humor, the humor of yellow bile, originated in the spleen, that's where the expression vent your spleen comes from to mean you're, you know, venting your anger. I don't know if you've heard that. It's kind of an old fashioned expression, but I had definitely heard of it before. I, I can't say I've heard so that So it's one. like the emotion of anger was caused by the spleen, which was the source of that humor. So anger could be expelled by venting your spleen. Okay. Um, Logical. <laughs> and then from like a backwards associated with anger, now our word bilious can mean indicative of like a peevish, ill-natured disposition. Okay. So we kind of like went backwards on that one. Billy's used to mean green and now it can also mean that because of the anger and the spleen and the yellow bile. Um, so if we move on to melancholic, you'll find that same syllable, that call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it actually literally just means black bile. Melon is black. You might recognize it from melanin. Yeah. And call for the bile. So black bile, literally in Greek. Um, and I'm assuming that that temperament or, or that humor is what led to us to this idea, current idea of being melancholy. Right, exactly. If you had too much black bile, they were like, that's why you're sad. Right. I mean, so, so you have to realize that the diagnoses worked backwards. It wasn't like they measure could measure somehow your level of humors. And then and dictate then like, what you should be like. It was like, you're sad. You must have too much black bile. Right. Because they've just arbitrarily, it seems, decided what which one means. So they decided that you know depressed people had too much black bile, so so now when you're sad you're melancholic. Yes. Makes sense. Um and now, without further delay, I'm gonna finally explain how humor went from being people juices that control our health to being something funny. Like the word people juices. That's funny. It's a a good one. (laughs) I'm just going to keep saying it. (laughs) So it wasn't until the 1680s that humor began um, to refer to something comedic. So it it evolved from, you know, humor kind of started to mean mood, Mm -hmm. like ill-humored or good-humored. It started to mean mood, which came from if you were sick or not. Kind of, it kind of flew through that channel. Yeah. Kind of started to refer to humoring someone's mood. And then, you know, it eventually got to the comedy part. But how did that happen? Um, So for example, William Shakespeare's plays um, provided an example of all the four temperaments. They used to talk about this a lot in the Shakespearean days, how, oh, this character was definitely choleric and this character was this. So they, they wrote, even they wrote their stories and they portrayed these people having these characteristics very consciously, they played into the four humors, or four temperaments, I suppose. Um, and then plays in this era, in the Elizabethan era, were generally comedies. Um, so they wrote the characters with really pronounced examples of those temperaments. Of course. They 
you know, like they have kind of now like those set roles in plays and especially in comedies. Yep. There's like, you know, the fall guy and the really dumb one, you know. Yep. Um, so same thing then. And then basically, because all of these traits were really exaggerated, they started to use humorous to mean funny because they were funny plays that had exaggerated humors. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't tell you in more detail how exactly that unfolded. Um, but that was the impression of one Isaac Asimov when he was asked how he thought the transformation occurred. It's cool. Yeah. Um, another cool one is that the word complexion is actually derived from the practice of complexing the four humors. So the Latin complexio, meaning combination, um, from complectere, embrace or comprise. So it really originally meant like a physical constitution or your temperament. So complexing your humors was that individual attention from the physician who would talk about your life and decide you have a lot of this humor and not a lot of that humor. And that was your complexion. Right. So it became a lot more literal and visual now. But that's where we get that word from. Well, but even back then, if, you know, if they were looking for signs visually from a person like i could see how if someone was flushed they would think that they're sanguine or if they're looking green then you know like they'd have a certain complexion to them so that's interesting that's another kind of easy one to see where we got it where like how it came to be i just didn't you know didn't know that so it's cool it's pretty cool um so speaking of complexion Here's a good story about a term that is still in use today, albeit a little less popular than I think it used to be. Have you heard the term liver spots? Of course. Okay. Liver spots, which we also call sunspots and age spots and all these things. But liver spots is a really popular name for them. Actually originated because of the humoral theory of medicine. And there's not like a lot of great resources to like kind of interpret how this came to be so this is the best the best kind of guess from putting stuff together um so during the summer months when it's hot the liver naturally produces more yellow bile i'd like to clarify that that's not a thing this is this is their theory this is what they think happened um no explanation on why the liver would produce more yellow bile in the summer when it's hot maybe bile was like liver swept Oh, that's and a human juice. Here's another thing that I am confused about, by the way, is that earlier on, we learned that yellow bile apparently was produced in the gallbladder. So I don't know where the liver is coming from now, but it's a thing. They they were very sure about this. Um, if you're confused about this too, that's okay, because I certainly am. So it turns out that the ancients <laughs> just were super confused about the liver, actually. Uh... Very, very confusing. So as an example, they were even confused by themselves, let's say. Okay. As an example, there's a philosopher called Nicholas of Salerno in the late 12th century. And he wrote, some say that the blood alone is generated in form as well as substance in the liver. The other humors are generated there in substance, but in other places as to form. So they're kind of working back and justifying it by saying that everything was made in the liver in its... Pro, like, yeah, originates constituent there. form. Yeah, and then it gets built in other places, except for blood. 
that's that's the best guess as to what was going on with that. Um, and then later on, this is this is later, like Middle Ages. They were they were like, okay, skin is made up of collection molecules like oxygen and hydrogen and carbon. And when it was hot, they thought oxygen would like separate itself mm. out Combustion. of the other molecules in your skin. Yeah. Again, this is kind of wild. Um, and then it would like absorb and bind substances around it in your skin. Okay. So in the summer, okay, I know this is hard to follow. Let's summarize here. In the summer, the living liver is making extra bile. All the bile is floating around in your blood. It was yellow. Great. But there was a brownish component to it they decided was related to iron. Who knows why? Maybe they rust? I don't know. Maybe they thought your blood rusted? Shh. Okay. <laughs> That's good for you. All right. So because of this oxygen floating around trying to bind things and all this extra bile, which apparently had iron in it, was floating around, the oxygen would bind the bile into your skin. Good place to keep it. And everything's all excited because it's hot. So so then you get a freckle. You know, a little <laughs> brown dot. You get a freckle. If it's to a much larger degree, you're tanned. And like... The iron's deposited on your skin and makes these brown spots. Anyways, so over time, the term or like the theory kind of grew from freckle and tan to like actual what you would think of as a liver spot, like the big, the big spots. Um, So that's why we call them that, even though they have nothing to do with the liver and half that theory didn't really make sense. But it's the ancients. What, What can you do? Um, if anyone was curious, medically, liver spots are called solar lentigens. That's the, you know, proper word. Great. I'm sure you all wanted to know that. Oh, of course. So, that's the four humors and four temperaments and some cool words for everyone. I'd like to stress that there's absolutely more to cover. And if this was interesting to you, there is so much more information available if you want to do a deep dive on your own. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Teach Me Something. Once again, I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. Tune in next time for another chance to learn something new.